Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at managing editor, fightful.com, fightfulwrestling.com. Lots of stuff going on this weekend between wrestling, MMA, boxing. We got this Logan Paul KSI fiasco. We got Bellator on Friday, UFC Moscow. There are like four different pro wrestling events between MLW, New Japan, Impact Wrestling. But we are here to talk about AEW Full Gear. It is technically November 10th now. And I am joined by Mr. Dave Schilling. You all can check him out on Twitter at Dave underscore Schilling. And check out his newsletter at DaveSchilling.substack.com. Dave, how you doing? Oh, so good. What a refreshing program that was. Long but like a cool drink of water, I feel refreshed. I feel great. Yeah, there, there were things on this show that I didn't protect, particularly like jump out of my seat for, but I, I there wasn't anything that I was like, man, that sucked. That was bad. That was a waste of my time. So I, I was thinking about this a lot during the show. Is that and we re, we use this sort of um, comparison all the time? This is like WCW all over again. That AEW has a lot in common with classic WCW. And it's an overused comparison, but it's accurate here because this was a two-match show. Most of that undercard was stuff that was at least felt thrown together. I, I think Sean Spears and Janela, you know, they tried to tell a story. They tried to build to something. Uh, but really, it just felt like a TV match. And and, and uh, the tag team triple threat felt kind of limp until they built into the finish. Um, but those last two matches made every penny that I spent on the show worthwhile. Yeah, I I agree. I, I, I thought this was, again, as you had mentioned, refreshing. And, you know, we, we do have people that will already come out and say, well, you don't give WWE the same criticism. I'm like, well, hold up just a little bit. WWE has decades of a track record established. Tendencies and habits and things that they rely on and things that they don't pay off. We don't really have that track record for AEW yet. There are some things, like refereeing, which ironically play into the tag match early on, and we'll get there. As AEW develops, the criticisms will develop and evolve as well, 
and they will develop tendencies and they will develop habits that certain people don't like. But uh, I think early on they're, they're doing a lot right. They're they're doing enough that's different from WWE to where they they can be an alternative. And uh, I think they had a, a pretty solid show. Did I think it was quite as good as the other pay per views I've seen them do? I didn't, but I didn't think it was like a waste of time or anything. And again, that's easy for me to say. I get reimbursed for the cost of a pay per view. It's tax deductible, and to a lot of the consumers, it ain't tax deductible. This is money they're not getting back. So if they're not blown away by a $50 pay-per-view, then that stands out to them. And they remember that a lot more than they will maybe a nine ninety nine offering. But uh, we got kicked off with Britt Baker defeating Bea Priestley. This has been paid off after months of, of back and forth. Britt Baker was concussed. The, I, I loved Britt Baker's promo. I loved Bea Priestley's kind of clapback. Uh, I, I don't know if I, I liked as much them saying like, oh, well, she doesn't care what she does to her opponent in the ring. Nobody really should. They should be out there to hurt people within kayfabe. What did you think of the buildup to this? I did like that we got to see some of their character. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that's missing across the board in the women's division is characters – we're missing, um, you know, real compelling storylines. And hopefully this is the start of them building up people that you can get behind or you can boo or you can feel something for. I still personally feel like Britt Baker is a better heel than she would be a babyface. Mm-hmm. The whole dentist thing, you know, nobody likes a dentist. Nobody gets mm-hmm. excited to go to the dentist. Like, oh, I can't wait for some stranger to put their fingers in my mouth. You know, it's a natural heel gimmick. Uh, but she's playing this kind of baby face that it just doesn't quite work with her look and with her gimmick. So hopefully that changes at some point. And I, I could see her and Rio having a great series of matches if she turns. Um, Are you telling me was- that Britt Baker is a dentist? Because I don't think they've mentioned that once on the show. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's like, I, I, have you ever heard anyone call Roman Reigns a big dog? I haven't. I haven't. I, well, apparently he's not. It's, that's what I learned on Friday is that he is in fact uh, not a big dog. He's a very small dog, maybe even a 3D generated dog with a high pitched bark. That's, that's let's just. Let's not sully this show with <laughs> WWE talk. I'm on a high. I don't yeah. want to think about that place any more than I have to. Uh, a reminder, guys, donate a super chat. Any amount will get your question or statement read on the air. We have one from Joseph Farley. He says, AEW doing the weird triple threat tag rules that the Fed has through uh, trips me out and, and confuses me. Adding to the swear jar. Yeah, we can curse now since we've got some some monetization here. Uh, Bo Boneham says, been a subscriber of Fightful Select for almost a year now, loving all the content. Love the Cody match, and I thought it was a decent show overall. We will certainly be getting to the Cody match. Uh, with Back to Britt and Bia. I thought they were about a half step step off early, but they they were kind of waiting on each other to do some moves. But I really dug the transitions into the lockjaw early and the elbow up against the ropes for Bia. Now, my question is, so far we've not seen a DQ in AEW. So I'm like, are, are these wrestlers breaking the rope counts and everything just on the fear that it might hypothetically happen? Because we've seen situations where a DQ should have happened and it didn't. And they're, they're just following the rules. And I, I don't see a ton of motivation as to why outside of them hypothetically believing, oh, well, maybe I'll get DQ'd. Yeah, I mean, 
not to jump ahead too much, but the weight belt in the title match. You know, every time someone uses a weight belt, it's like, well, why does the referee take the weight belt immediately? She just lets him whip uh, Cody with the weight belt for, you know, 10, 15 strikes or something like that. And then it's like, okay, well, let me let me take the belt now. Like, you should have taken the belt from the beginning. It's a, it's a foreign object. Um, the, the laxness of the rules is something that JR mentions all the time on commentary. I wish he wouldn't mention it so much because it's just part of, it's just part of the show in the way that ECW specifically said, you know, our we have no rules in, in AEW. They have rules, but the referees have a certain amount of discretion. Sure. I think to your point, it would be good for there to be a DQ finish every once in a while. That said, this is almost – it feels like a reaction to the fact that WWE has so many DQs and they do so many screwy finishes that AEW is really trying to say, you know, we're going to bend the rules as you know wrestling, but we're going to give you a finish at the end of the day. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. Sure, there might be a a time limit draw, but that served a purpose. And it was only, you know, one time. Most of the time, you get a winner and you get a loser. Yeah, I, I get that, and I, New Japan does that too. They're very lax as, as it pertains to the rules, but it, it does make me wonder, like, why are these people following them if they're they're rarely enforced? Which I mean, they have time to kind of develop that. Uh, I loved Bea Priestley's elbow against the ropes. Uh, Baker has a nice sling blade. I like her swing in Fisherman's uh, neckbreaker. Bea does a great capture suplex. Oh, I love that move. A uh, rough spot with the superplex and the RKO that hit for Baker. My least favorite spot of this entire show was Britt Baker doing the Panama Sunrise, the Canadian Destroyer, for a kickout. I get it. It's a nod and a wink to her being Adam Cole's girlfriend. I hate seeing that move kicked out of. And the reason I hated it so much in this match, and I actually had a WWE wrestler message me about this. He was like, man... That Ricky Morton spot would have meant a lot more if somebody wouldn't have just kicked out of that move the match before that. And I was like, yeah, I agree. And, ah, man. It's, a, it's an overused move. It It is what the super kick was two years ago. Now everybody does a Canadian Destroyer uh, or, or, or a Panama Sunrise or whatever you want to call this, this, this move. Um, it's something that, Looks so devastating. It's it's head and neck compression onto a mat. In real life, you would be paralyzed. You're not allowed to do it in a UFC fight. It's so dangerous. You cannot do it in a UFC fight. It's terribly dangerous. Um, So to have it be a transition just cheapens it. That said, this is, you know, professional wrestling and anything can be cheapened if, if the writers so choose or the producers so choose. Uh, and I certainly was guilty of that during my time in WWE as being a part of cheapening certain things that I love <laughs> and, and hold dear. Uh, that said, I wish they hadn't done it. And that's something that the producers should be talking about. Sure. Is we've got, we've got a Canadian destroyer in this, in the first real match of the show. Maybe Brit shouldn't do it. But that's a lack of communication, and somebody gets yelled at it when that happens. Someone yeah. gets yelled at when that happens, and uh, hopefully it wasn't anybody who's nice <laughs> that gets yelled at. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Priestley pulls hair to get out of the lockjaw. Eventually, Britt applies it and gets the win. I thought this was solid, a good blow-off, a good win for Britt. She's obviously an important part 
of that division. Then Awesome Kong and Brandy Rhodes come out. And this is a much different looking Awesome Kong than we've ever seen. She's got locks of hair around her waist, wearing bright colors, has, has slimmed down a ton, hasn't been wrestling a lot of late. And uh, the thing is, she's a full-time employee of AEW. It was specified as much. Like, full-time is in has benefits full-time. So, I mean, she's obviously doing something there, and they can certainly make use of her outside of the wrestling ring. She is getting some high-level acting experience. That That is valuable for this type of, of entertainment. Uh, she's got a fucking knife, Dave. I saw it. When, I, when the knife comes out, when Brandy's wielding that knife, I'm like, God, I... What the fuck is this going to be for? It took me a minute, then I realized, oh, they're going to take her hair. And then you see yeah. she's got the belt with all the hair on it, and these are like you know trophies. It's kind of cool, but the timing and the production of that angle was off. The lights were out for way too long. There's a video that's playing. We don't know what the video is for. The, 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 the lights going out is a theme that keeps coming back in AEW. Mm-hmm. The lights go out and someone shows up. ECW did it all the time. You know, there's that, that classic um, uh, angle where t- I think Taz appears when the lights go out. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, that, that does was it way too much. Way too much. It happened, I think, two times, three times maybe on this show. Just on this show. There's a match called the Lights Out match. And you've got the lights going out multiple times during the show. Same concept is doing the same move, the same high spot in two matches in a row. And one of them being extra devastating and being done by a 70-year-old man. Uh, and then the other time being a transition and a kick out. Um, I didn't like how the angle came off production-wise. That said, I like the pairing. I like um, Awesome Kong and Brandy Rhodes together. I think Brandy is a really talented manager. I know a lot of people malign her work, say she is a dilettante in the wrestling business. But she cuts a great promo. Yeah. She's a good heater. She looks cool next to Awesome Kong, and, and Awesome Kong looks devastating and so much bigger than everybody else on that roster. And I, I'm eager to see her and Riho in a match. I think that that combination of yeah. gigantic woman, little tiny woman, um, will will make for for a, a, a great series of matches. I love big guy, little guy matches, and I think, I think this will be a good example of that. I think Riho is, is is a good enough worker and the right kind of worker to accentuate Kong's positives. And to be honest with you, there ain't a lot of them these days. She was not doing good like three years ago in TNA, but I think Riho can get a good match out of her. Uh, Hannah Moore sends a super chat. Thank you for that. Uh, Shane Haas has a lot of good and bad on tonight's pay-per-view. Do you think all the non-sanctioned matches in such a short time will maybe be overkill? We will get to that specifically. Uh, Gisberto Guzzo says, I thought the first 30 minutes of the buy-in were outstanding. The HBO 24-7 style, docu-style storytelling works really effectively. It reminded me a lot of the UFC countdowns that they do. Uh, I, I thought that the voice was even very similar. I dug that. Um, Kong did an implant buster to be a Priestley, cuts a lock off Bia's hair. Don't know if you saw it on the StarCast thing or if you've, you've heard this before. Brandy revealed that originally she was supposed to be a manager, I believe, for Karma back in the day. And mm. uh, it didn't end up working out, so I, I thought that was a great touch. I, I, I think that's good that she's like, hell yeah, let's go back to it. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, combination. And, and just to go back to what the matches I think will be with Riho, Kong is limited. Yes. But Riho can just bump around for her and ragdoll for her. And that's 
really all that needs to happen in a match like that is the little person's got a bump for the big person. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll tell you what wasn't limited. Proud and powerful against the Young Bucks. This was match of the night to me. Thought it was awesome. The first few minutes were a little bit funny because if anybody's ever seen my AEW reviews, I specifically bitch about Rick Knox not enforcing a rule. Ever. None in tag. The first few minutes of this show were just to, or this match, were just to let everybody know, hey, Rick Knox knows the rules, guys. Hey, he knows the rules. All of them. There were some dynamics that I liked, Dave. Like, usually you have the babyface team. When they tag in, the ref doesn't see it. I like that they did it with the heel team. And they blur lines with heels and faces. Also something I like a lot. But dipping into this other direction and making it not so formulaic is something that that I enjoy. Different doesn't mean wrong. I had this discussion on, on last night's show about how Darby Allen talked about WWE. And people think just because WWE wrestlers don't usually talk about other companies that everybody shouldn't. Well, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just different. What what did you think of this beating over the head with the rules? That was that something that stuck out to you, and and what did you think of the the breaking of the formula? I f- I felt like it needed to set a tone for the entire show. That's what the first match on a card does, and when you are building to matches that will break all the rules, the last match is one of the most brutal mainstream professional wrestling matches I've seen in a long time. So why not in this situation, have a tag match where the rules will be, will be followed. It establishes on the show. This is what wrestling is. If you've never, if you've never seen wrestling before in your life, here's wrestling. And that was important. But also I think, you know, you want to build just from a drama standpoint in a match, start slow, build to your high spots, Build to your build to your um your heat spots and, and your comebacks and all that stuff and they did that really well in this match. Granted, the crowd kind of was a little tentative because they're expecting that kind of tornado tag feel because it's the Young Bucks and it, because it's Santana and Ortiz and that's what they do and that's what they do better than anybody else. But sometimes it's good to go out there and do a regular tag match, especially with the ultimate tag team at front in, in the front row. Uh, watching the show, it felt it, it, at times like a, a tribute to the to the Rock and Roll Express, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, Rock and Roll Express. There, uh, they they keep getting integrated into this match. I thought them cheerleading the crowd was fantastic. That was great. Uh, there was some really good double team offense from both of these guys. One of the things I loved about this, the pace was great, the build was great, and. A recurring theme on this entire show, for the most part, moves that should have been protected were protected. Outside of that that Canadian Destroyer early on, then a bunch of stuff in the, the Lights Out match, most finishes were protected. And I, I like that, because it really didn't seem like that was going to be the case for a while. There are matches here that if they had done these maybe a year ago or on an, on an ROH show a year ago... They'd be getting kicked out of nonstop. Um, I love the double flapjack from Proud and Powerful. There's that double super kick that stops Santana in the middle of a moonsault. Then the spots where <laughs> Nick had his leg worked over and spits his gum and Santana chews it up. Like, 
little things like that that aren't a wrestling move that just gets Santana over, little things like that help so much, Dave. Yeah, it shows you who these guys are. I forget which one between Santana and Ortiz, which one, you know, when um, the the leg spot happened on the on the uh, the ring post, he goes to the yeah. the camera and he says, "I'm a genius," and I'm like, <laughs> "That's the kind of like little Healy stuff, funny character stuff." That helps, like you said, get people over the, the gum spot. Putting someone else's gum in your mouth after they spit it at you is a crazy person thing. And that establishes this tag team as crazy, which is what they are. You know, they're, they're, you never know what you're going to get in a match with those two. And I, I, I just, I'm really excited to see what they can do going forward. And I, I hope that they're going to be in the tag team championship mix very soon. Yeah, I would imagine so. The street sweeper gets the win. Nick had his leg worked over heavily. They'd thrown uh, Matt out onto the Rock and Roll Express. And after the match, Sammy Guevara comes out. Inner Circle comes out. But the Rock and Roll Express helps the Young Bucks. Ricky Morton does a slingshot Canadian destroyer and almost got hung up on the ropes. But then does an, Terrifying. An, does an amazing suicide dive. <laughs> like... I was like, damn, okay, because, you know, you always hear those people that are like, oh, Ricky Morton at 60 can still work. And I'm like, okay, sure. I like, I see some of his stuff here and there. That was just a really good suicide dive. Uh, I like that. I don't know how I, I feel about Proud and Powerful getting beaten up by a couple of old dudes right after they won the match, but uh, I'm interested in your take. Well, yeah, it did make them look kind of ridiculous selling for the Rock and Roll Express. I have had the opportunity to see rock and roll work. They did a bar wrestling show, uh, I think last month or a month before that. Um, and they can still bump, they can still do all that stuff, obviously. Um, but that said, if you're you know, a 30 year old man selling for a 60, 70 year old man, it's kind of silly, but this is wrestling and you suspend your disbelief because you're a fan and you're trying to enjoy yourself. Uh, I knew though, when that match is over and they're selling for the rock and roll express and they're, they're on their backs, that they're going to get their heat back in the title match. And, and as a group, the inner circle is over as heels because of Jericho. As the, Santana Ortiz can lose. Sammy Guevara can lose. But as long as Jericho continues to win uh, either by nefarious means or just because he's a wily veteran, I think they're going to be fine. You know, They walk out at the end of the show with Jericho on their shoulders and him drinking the champagne. That's the visual you remember. Not so much that they got beat up by the Rock and Roll Express. So an interesting thing about this pay-per-view was even though it felt like a, a pretty good card and it's obviously not going to be remembered as greatest AEW pay-per-view ever, it featured three matches that were legit like main event, co-main event level. I mean, Hangman versus Pac was supposed to be a top match at, what was it, double or nothing? Uh, you had Omega yep. and Moxley, which was supposed to be like a co-main event at All Out. And then you had Cody and Jericho. I thought Hangman and Pac was pretty good. I mean, there were I, there were no bad matches on this show. I thought it was good how they told the story about how they had each other well scouted. Paige uh, had great use of the blockbuster suplex. Did a beautiful moonsault to the outside. Uh, Pac couldn't hit the black arrow, but countered a buckshot lariat with a big super kick. My favorite spot of this one, Pac countering or Pat countering that dead eye with a brutalizer, just catching him in midair and just applying it. 
Pack missed the black arrow again and a, a low blow. He distracted the ref, and we don't see this ever, Dave, in, in really anywhere. We always see the low blow hit. We never see anybody thwart it despite the ref distraction. Deadeye ends up winning it for Paige. There were a couple really clever things here that I like. I love breaking the wrestling tropes, and I thought this match did this a couple times. Paige gets a big win. What would you think of this one? I, I thought it was an interesting place in the show and that it's the second match. The second match is notoriously difficult to pull off on a pay-per-view. Uh, you know, go back to WrestleMania in Orlando a few years ago. Jericho and Kevin Owens um, should have been a bigger match. It was one of the, the biggest angles of that year in WWE. And it kind of didn't go over very well. It ended up being kind of forgotten. And I feel like this match is similar in that it was a perfectly good match, but it's just in a strange spot where it doesn't have the gravitas and the feel and the emotion that you get later on in the show. The feud that these two guys have isn't really a blood feud. I don't still don't really feel like I understand Hangman as a character. I get the cowboy shit, and I get that he's cool and, and that he is young and handsome and classic babyface. But what is his motivation? And this is a thing that, you know, I always uh, thought about before I worked uh, as a writer in wrestling and, and during and, and now still. Wh- why does he want to win? What is he after besides being the champion? Those sorts of things we haven't really figured out with Hangman. I know who Pac is or Pac is. I hate having to figure out Me how too. to say his name. Can I just call you Neville, please? Uh, but we know who he is. He's a bastard. He's he's a misanthrope. He's a miserable person. Who's Paige? What is the, what is this story really about? And I'm hoping that as Paige continues to get pushed and continues to grow as a performer, that we get some new shades um, to this character and we get to know him better. Uh, we'll see what happens. But th- this was a fine match. It, it's just it didn't click for me on an emotional gut level, and that's what I'm looking for with most professional wrestling matches is that I need to feel something. This went from a match that I would say, yeah, go watch this. And if it had that emotional connection, I feel like it would have been a lot, been like it. Yeah. You can't miss this, but because there wasn't that emotional connection there, it was missing a little bit still. I mean, like this is, you put this on raw any given week and it might be one of the best matches of the night. You put this yeah. on dynamite. Any given week, it might be one of the matches of the week. I don't want to seem like I'm throwing shade at WWE there. It's just, I get, yeah, I'm with you with that. So I'll tell you what one of my favorite things was. When the lights go out and they, they didn't do it like as a big reveal. They just did it to set up Sean Spears' shit. And JR goes, what, what the hell's going on? What's going on here? Oh, Sean Spears. Well, this, this was a thing. Uh, I did notice that Excalibur, like Excalibur's sitting there, he's trying to sell tickets to the upcoming shows, and JR's like wedging in college football references, and I'm like, I'm like, bro, he's trying to get asses in the seats. However, the fighting Illini are doing are not going to put any asses in, in in your seats. I I appreciate it, but man, so Spears is out to face Joey Janela, and I thought this was again. Good good match, all things considered, but there was no heat. This was maybe the most heatless match I've seen in AEW so far. And Janela's real good and captivating, but the crowd just wasn't there for this, Dave. They don't have any chemistry. 
that's really it. Sean Spears and Joey Janela have no chemistry, and they put them out there in an unfortunate situation, and it didn't work. It did not work. Joey is a great performer. I have had my mind blown by Joey Janela a million times. We saw what he did against Omega on, on, on AEW Dark. We know he can work in this setting uh, outside of the you know the indie world. He can work on television. He can be a strong performer. He's, but ca- Sean he's Spears, captivating and likable. He's yes, very absolutely. likable. But it's like WWE trained Sean Spears and Captain, in, the most indie guy of all time, and Joey Janela. And it was just like oil and water, man. It just didn't mix. Uh, and that's unfortunate because I like both of them as performers. But that the show, as long as it was, if there was one match, I would say cut it out. Don't do it. It was that one. And it's unfortunate, like I said, because both those guys are talented and deserve to be able to put on a great show. It's just that it didn't work. I thought it would have made a lot of sense for them to film this like before full gear for like Tuesday's dark because they, they aired this week's dark uh, last night because I mean, that's kind of where this, this feud was developed and AW dark is already kind of like Joey Janela's show a little bit. Like he, he's showing out on, on there. Uh, I thought it was funny that he almost ran into Earl Hebner several times because Hebner had no goddamn clue where Joey Janela was about to run or jump. Uh, Spears caught Janela off the apron with a belly to belly suplex that looked good. I, I was wondering a couple of weeks ago why nobody used the tag ropes as a weapon and Janela mm. and Dylan or uh, Spears did that, but he ended up getting out, but I did like that. Janela woke him up a little bit with a somersault senton. But uh, my favorite spot of this match was a spike pile driver on the floor just because Tully Blanchard got involved. And he jumped. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like goddamn, Tully's like, yes, I've been waiting decades for this. I love it. He was it. very happy. Yeah. Uh, I love I loved the tag rope spot. I thought that was one of the most clever things that I, I've seen uh, on AEW so far. I almost wish that was the finish because it – there wasn't anywhere to go after he's yeah. tied to the ring post of the turnbuckle and he escapes. If anything, you know, the way to get heat um, for Spears is tie him to the tie his hair to the turnbuckle, have him beat him down, referee five count. He won't stop hitting him. He won't let him out of the corner. They disqualify him and he just keeps wailing on him until he passes out. Like that would have been a cool finish. That would have been a finish that gets Spears over as as a sadistic person, more so than than even the way that it ended tonight. And it would have been ending the match at the highest point of drama. And that was something that, you know, just to go back quickly to the Santana and Ortiz and Young Bucks match, this the the Miss Meltzer driver with the with the the leg and all that stuff, like that should have been the finish. Finish the match there. Don't carry on, don't give the give us the comeback. Just end it. You know, we know who's going to win. So just, you know, play, use that injury angle for the finish. Use the, the hair, the hair tied to the turnbuckle as the finish. It's the highest point of drama. I think some of the finishes in these matches need work. And that's, that's the, 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 it's the, the hardest part, I think, of professional wrestling. And it's amazing what producers can do uh, when they, when they come together, they put these matches together. It's figuring out the the highest point of the drama and when to end a match. And some of these just kind of ended like a fart in church. 
I don't know, and this isn't on Janela. I don't know that the, this one had a right place to finish, or it, like the crowd just wasn't there for it. And it, it yep. like I said, it's not because of Janela. And I, I'm not really putting the blame on Spears. It's just all his heat was in that Cody feud, and he got beat. That's it. He got yep. beat, and yep. that was it. Uh, I, I like that the spike pile driver pretty much finished it. The, the C4 hit after that, but pile driver finished it. We then go to a video backstage, and Kip Sabian says that he was trying to play it down the middle, be really mild, but he's finding there are alliances everywhere, and he talks about Angelico and Jack Evans, and cuts, I thought, a pretty good promo. And when, when I saw him at StarCast, he did a scrum, I was like, man, this guy can talk. He's he's very charismatic, but I didn't see that at all in AEW. He was like very just bland. And this was more like what what I what I saw of him in Vegas. He reveals Penelope Ford, who he's been dating for quite a while in, in real life, and she takes a little shot at Joey Janela and say, "Why be bad when you can be super bad?" And they cut back to Janela walking to the back. What do you think of this newfound feud, it seems, for Kip Sabian, Penelope Ford, and uh, Joey Janela? I think it's bizarre that they ran this angle during a pay-per-view. Yeah. Why during the pay-per-view? This is something that you do on TV. This is a, a thing that you do to tell the story. Make sure that the most people can see the angle. You run it on pay-per-view. The only people who see it are the people who bought it. Yeah. So it's... 500,000 people versus a million people who are going to see it. Like, it was, it was good. I think it's a good idea to do this. They'll probably end up being on AEW Dark most of, most of the matches. But, you know, put these things where you're setting up new stories on TV, and that's sort of how I feel about when we'll get there, the, the, the title match and the MJF turn is it could have waited one more week. One more week. You gotta be patient. Don't blow your wad. I want the smoke says, AEW reminds me of TNA. Are you a fan of that long ramp? Because I'm not. I love the long ramp. I dig it. It reminds me of New Japan. Reminds me of WCW. I like it. You can get really creative with it. I like that they don't do it all the time. Uh, how do you feel about the, the long, even ramp with the ring? Uh, yeah, it reminds me of of early '90s WCW. Those sort of pay per views, you know, Sting and Vader, and there you go, and Vader, Vader and Cactus Jack, and 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 Foley really knew how to use that ramp and make it seem like a you know it was a weapon, almost. Yeah, uh, him falling on it or throwing people on it. Obviously, we saw later on in the night it became very dangerous for one Cody, the American Nightmare. Uh, but from a look perspective, it makes it look different. It makes it look bigger. It makes it look epic. I, I think it's great. And it's, it's, you know, as a WCW nerd, I'm very nostalgic for it. I want the smoke follows up and says, in my opinion, AEW is trying way too hard. Why do they have blood in all their matches? Uh, they don't in all their <laughs> matches. And also, <laughs> I would on purpose. Yeah, I would rather them try way too hard than not try, which is what I'm used to. So much out of the wrestling that I I watch, so I'm I'm all for that. I'm all for you guys subscribing to FightfulSelect.com as well. Check that out. I've got dozens of additional podcasts, lots of exclusive news. That's the most direct way to support us. Go check out FightfulSelect.com. AEW World Tag Team Title Match: SCU defeated Private Party and the Lucha Brothers. 
This one I thought was going to be a barn burner. I thought it would steal the show. I th Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thought it was I thought it was okay, but in, in a good match, but it just it couldn't stack up to what happened earlier in the night. It should have been a tornado tag. I yeah. think the, the 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 way that they played out the triple threat rules made it feel stilted and weird and illogical. Pentagon seemed very off. He seemed like a step behind everybody else, or just not selling. Yeah. Um, and that was frustrating because he's usually so good, but I think he's so good in those tornado, those sort of lucha style tag matches. Uh, when he's sort of constrained by these bizarre, odd, uh, cumbersome sort of situations where, you know, one team is not even in the match and there's two guys and you can tag anybody. It's just, it's a timing issue. It didn't work for me. Um, this was, I think, besides the Sean Spears, um, Janela match, my least favorite match of the night. I wish it wasn't because I love everybody involved. with this triangle tag situation. And man, the Lucha Brothers tag team offense is hit or miss because, like, it either makes a lot of sense or no sense. Like, they do a roll through, one of them rolls up the other guy, then they springboard off the rope, then they, they drop him onto the knee of the other guy. And I'm like, man, just throw his face into a boot or something. Private parties, however, was very smooth. It made sense, like the camel clutch into the stomp. I love that spot. Scorpio Sky, every time I see him, I'm like, God, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the time that he becomes AEW champion. Like, that guy is going to be big for them. That slingshot cutter into the dragon sleeper was just marvelous. I love that dude. Uh, I was surprised Kazarian was up and going. He, it looked like he got cracked hard on the Fosbury flop. But I think my favorite part of this whole match was how legitimately amazed by Phoenix that Jim Ross was. Like he sees. He was a star. Yeah. He sees Phoenix jump off and he goes, Oh, God damn, look at that. Like he couldn't believe what he was seeing out of Ray Phoenix. And you don't get that out of JR very much. <laughs> Certainly not these days where it seems <laughs> no. like he's kind of like. Confused by most yeah. of what's happening. I mean, I love Jr. and his voice does add a ton to this this broadcast. But sometimes his energy level does not match mine or yeah. the crowds or the story of the match. Uh, especially in those, you know, the the video or the, the 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 you know match graphics when he's going through the matches coming up, he's kind of like, and then we've got a burn burner, folks. We've got uh, Cody and. Uh, Chris Jericho for the title. I'm like, come on, man. 
pick it up, like give me something. But you're right with Ray Phoenix doing these crazy things and, and, and really showing out in that final third of that match. JR came alive and I felt like 1997 JR was back. Yeah, that was, I thought this was uh, one of his best called matches in a while. Like he, he does it here and there. We still get, get the glimpses of it, but man, there, there's a lot of times when JR, like the, the over reliance on the college football and it, it's not, or, or even, complaining about the rules, complaining yeah. about the referee, like being it's not confused his job about to bury no. everything. And he does it all the time. It's, it's, I don't even know if it's burying things. It's just that it's beside the point. Yeah. What, he, what he used to be so good at was, Selling the stakes, selling the drama, selling the characters, and selling you the pay-per-view. Right now, AEW doesn't have anybody who can come onto the screen like Mean Gene Okerlund or like Todd Pettengill, God bless him, yeah, uh, or JR in his day and really tell you why you need to care, why you need to spend $50 on the pay-per-view, why you need to get tickets to the next show. Excalibur is still learning how to do that. Yeah. Tony Giovanni, who was sorely missed tonight, he's the guy yes, he who was. seems to have been able to to like sell the passion and the enthusiasm and, and the love of wrestling that Taz makes me want to go give them money. I thought Taz did great on the the buy in. I, I, I he's yeah. a welcome voice. Really dig it. Yep. Uh, in the match, the outside in assisted DDT from SCU was great. Quinn shooting star, amazing. And then SCU later gets the win. The Lucha Brothers attack after this match, and we get another lights out. Oh, boy. And this goddamn angle made Pentagon look like a moron. Yep. It comes back, and there's another Pentagon. And the thing I don't like is that Excalibur said it as if, like, it was somebody that everybody knew. Like, oh, well, there's the third Pentagon. I, I don't have a goddamn clue about a third Pentagon or a second Pentagon or any other Pentagon besides the one that's in the ring in the scope of this. And then Pentagon sitting there like doing his taunt with him. Why? You clearly didn't talk it over with this guy beforehand because he beats your ass right afterwards. Also, last time this happened, it was Chris Jericho a year ago. Why? Yeah. Would he? This makes him look so dumb, Dave. It does. It does. Uh, the the lights out is overused. The dressing up like Pentagon specifically is overused. The crowd seemed confused. Uh, everything about it just fell flat. I just didn't care. Why? Why does Christopher Daniels feel like he needs to dress up like Pentagon? Turn the lights out in the first place. Why does he just run out with a crutch? <laughs> Or a, or a chair, or a sledgehammer, or an ice pick, or a bunch of mousetraps. It just beat him up. It wasn't dramatic. It wasn't surprising. It was, oh, that's obviously Christopher Daniels dressed up like Pentagon. Jason Check says, why did SCU have to defend a title on a triple threat? What did they do wrong to warrant such an unfair defense? I don't think they did. The private party just got in via the bronze medal match. Oh my god. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I felt bad for JR in the women's title match because yep. he was struggling to say Emmy Sakura's name. And it wasn't even to the point where I was like, man, like he's doing a crap job. I just felt bad for him. He he kept calling her Amy. 
all he had to do was listen for like yeah. two more seconds. Call her Sakura for the love of God. Anything. <sighs> well, this is another thing that and I don't mean to bury Jim Ross because I love Jim Ross. He's a wonderful man. He's a national treasure. <laughs> but what he did when there was no third person tonight is basically interrupt Excalibur. Excalibur is calling the match. Excalibur is trying to tell us the story and, and, and explain things that are going on uh, in, in an entertaining way. And JR just kind of is like, what I don't understand is why the referee doesn't do this. Or, you know, I, I, I think that uh, this, it should be this way or that way or just – like things that are undercutting the product, things that are just confusing, unnecessary, don't give us uh, any more um, insight into these people. He's he's undercutting Excalibur way too often. Excalibur doesn't know what to do because it's Jim Ross sitting next to him, the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, wrestling announcer of all time. Um, what's he supposed to do? Jim Ross is just you know in, in his own Jim Ross world. And he's trying hard. He's, it's not like Jim Ross is, he doesn't care. It's not like he's just taking a paycheck and going home and having a whiskey and falling asleep. He wants to be good. It's just that I think he doesn't really know his place without Vince McMahon, maybe. I mean, maybe Vince McMahon producing Jim Ross was better than we yeah. thought. Well, this match was, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it, teacher versus student story, uh, but there there wasn't a ton of crowd reaction here either. Riho is really, really good. Riho is really good. They don't know Emmy Sakura. Yeah, they they don't know, and th- what they do know is that Riho is a, a very light woman. <laughs> and if they don't, <laughs> they haven't watched the goddamn show because it's all we knew. Uh, I thought Riho's arm was broken on one of those stomps off the top rope. Man, that's nuts. Uh, Sakura bridged up and kicked out. I love the tiger driver into the stomp, stomp into the double cell. And I loved the finish. I loved Riho rolling through, getting a pin that isn't a schoolboy. It establishes this move can pin somebody. And I think Rio's won all of her matches in like a different way each time. I like giving a pinfall like that in, in a championship match some shine. So there's something, some stuff I liked here, but this fell victim to the same stuff that the, the Sean Spears match did. The crowd wasn't there for it. And it went from a possibly great match, great championship match to, yeah, that was good. Yeah. This is again, WCW pay-per-view 101. Here's a bunch of matches that we kind of threw together. For some reason, Glacier is wrestling Conan on the, on the pay-per-view. No one seems to know why, but we need to fill time. And then there are two amazing, incredibly hot matches full of drama and excitement. Everything else, you know, is either good ring work or, you know, decent ring work and no story. And uh, you could tell the crowd was just ready for those final two matches. And, and, and the women's match, they did their best. It's tough when, you know, one half of the match is basically unknown to the audience. Uh, I think Emi Sakura had some uh, passport issues or work visa issues, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, and so she hasn't been on AEW TV very much. Her gimmick is bizarre. The Freddie Mercury mustache weird. and the microphone is so weird. But this is just part of what you get when you 
you know, Japanese wrestling in women's wrestling specifically is kind of quirky. And, uh, I didn't ever believe these two people were mad at each other or were in a fight because it's true. They do a move and then they get up and they start smiling and waving to the crowd. And I'm like, what is this happening? Why is Imi Sakura crying before the match starts? JR didn't know. Excalibur didn't know. We didn't know as an audience. Why is she crying? They haven't spent enough time on TV. They have not spent enough time. Also, no. I, I don't necessarily mean this match. I don't need every single match going 13 minutes or more. I don't need it. Uh, that was a big concern of mine when AEW launched because they had kind of said, oh, we're not going to have five or six minute matches. And I'm like, some fights go five minutes. Some go yep. like 12 seconds, but, uh, they, they've stepped out from that, but it would be, it would be a bad look if. You know, every other match was 15 minutes long. The women's yes. match was five. Yes, of course. They, of course. You can't have a five minute women's match. Yeah. You have to give them the time to tell a story because that is, you know, we're, 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 we're paying back, you know, all yeah. the sins of the attitude era of the early 2000s, <laughs> yes. the divas, rev, all that stuff. So we have to, even though it makes sense, like you said, for this to be a shorter match, it had to be 15 minutes. It had to be. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, not necessarily this one, but like Spears and Janela didn't need to be that long. Um, nope. Paige and Pac didn't need to be 18, I didn't think. Nope, nope. Cody Rhodes lost to Chris Jericho, AEW World Championship. If Cody doesn't win, he can't challenge for the title again. And MJF threw in the towel. Great Muda, Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko are the judges here. Uh, this one certainly seemed like it was going to be paced for a long time, maybe that 60 minutes. I don't know if they swerved that to make it based on the way it was paced because this one went about 30. Uh, Cody gets cut really early on on the ramp, but an early highlight is Cody's mom screaming, fuck you, at Chris Jericho and then slapping him. Uh, we get an Alabama slam and neither commentator remembered the name of the move. You could tell Excalibur was like, Damn it, I know the name of this move, but you just put me on the spot, and now I can't remember it. <laughs> it's totally irrelevant. This yes. is the kind of thing JR did all night, is I'm going to to put a fucking monkey wrench in this entire show by bringing up something that isn't important. Like, Who if, cares what Bob Holly called the fucking move? He's not in the fucking match. And why? And if Jr. was that worried about it, why didn't he tell him it was the Alabama Slam? Or did don't bring he, it up if you don't know the answer. Or, don't yeah. bring it up if you don't know the answer. He because, didn't remember. Because here's the thing. That's the thing that I, I tell my broadcast partners all the time when I call MMA. I'm like, hey, ask if you if you're asking a question like that, ask me off mic because I might not know it either, and we're both gonna look like dumbasses. And that's what happened here. Um, it's just like the match is now not important. What's important is these two guys trying to Wikipedia the name of Bob Holly's finisher, which I knew and immediately screamed to the TV. It's called the Alabama Slam. Yeah, and I know it's called the Alabama Slam because we we personally named Drew McIntyre's the Bama Slamma because it's inverted. So we call it that every damn week, uh, but. And I get it. Cody probably does that as an ode to Hardcore Holly because they teamed together like 12 years ago. But it's it wasn't a part of this story. It just wasn't. Not at all. 
yeah, he wasn't there. He wasn't one of the judges. He wasn't in Cody's corner. It's just, uh, well, this is when in my heyday, Bob Holly was a wrestler. Yeah. And he did that move, and I would like to bring it up because I'm nostalgic for a thing. And, again, I feel terrible saying all this stuff about Jim Ross. It's not the most important thing about the show, but he calls attention to it by yeah. doing it all the time. Yeah, I don't feel bad continuing for it. continuing to do it. I don't feel bad for it. Sure, I, put well, out, I, I put over his podcast all the time. I think it's a great podcast. It's very entertaining. But it, it, when his commentary is good, it's really good. Tonight, it, it, it was hit or miss. Uh, Hager and MJF get into it. Hager gets tossed out. Jericho cracks Cody with a title belt. Cody hits Jericho with a crossroads and both men kick out. I loved Cody almost winning with the bionic elbow. You knew it wasn't going to win the title, but it was a good spot. Jericho counters the Super Frankensteiner with the walls of Jericho, but then Jericho applies the lion, lion tamer and a great touch. He starts stomping on Cody's head. This was beautiful. It was, it was brutal. And it was enough that where you'd look at it and say, man, I could see where a close friend of his would be like, you know what? Who cares if he can't challenge for a title? Cause if he stays in this, he's not going to give up. If he gets the back of his head stomped, he might not have a career at all. So MJF throws in the towel. Now, a lot of, a lot of similarities to the Owen and Brett situation, obviously. But MJF throws in the towel your immediate thoughts when that happens. I thought this is the best finish they could have come up with because it does exactly what you're saying. It's it's logical. We've been told for weeks at a time, MJF and Cody are best friends. They're, 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 they're close as, as anyone can be without being brothers. Uh, and so, of course, he's going to be overcome with emotion. He's seen his, his best friend busted open this horrible gash over his eye it truly was ugly i really thought like maybe they're gonna gonna have to throw this match out uh cody somehow pulls through pulls through and and continues the match he's he's in this this lion tamer it it looks incredibly painful jericho really put it in really like cranked back on him and he's beating him you know he's kicking his head in yeah so when he throws in the towel it's terribly dramatic and it's like this is exactly the next step in this story. And I was ready to say that that was, you know, the best, best match of the night right there, just for that finish and what it did for where we were going. And then the turn happens and I feel totally different about it. So MJF is in the, in the ring and Cody's like, it's all right. It's all right. But you can tell he's frustrated. And then MJF like in tears, MJF kicks Cody in the ball sack. MJF gets to the top of the ramp, and uh, there was a quote-unquote fan that chucks a cup of water, hits him perfectly. A great, obvious plan. Obvious, obvious plan. Because they showed him. They showed yeah. him. And I had people in AEW like, oh, they, they fans think it's real. I'm like, no, they don't. But they know it was a good spot because that's going to be played over and over and over again. Over and over again. A very, very great situation. And <laughs> MJF, you could tell the look on his face, he knew it was money. As soon as, as soon as he turned around, he was like, ah, that was a good shot. You don't seem enthralled with the, the heel turn. I'm, I'm in agreement, agreement. I think they could have gotten more mileage out of it. Like maybe a couple more weeks even. 
or even longer. They could have gotten a long time out of this. They could have done a whole tag team run. There could have been a lot. They could have just continued MJ, to drag this out. MJF trying to do a make good. Like, hey, I'm sorry I cost you the, the world championship. But let's go for the tag championships. Yeah, something where you allow the intrigue to develop. You allow the questions to continue to form in your head. And and uh, give me a reason to tune in on Wednesday night. I mean, I'm going to tune in Wednesday night anyway. I, this is, you know, I like wrestling. But you always want... I think the pay-per-view to leave some things unsaid. We know why MJF did it. MJF's a prick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not like there's going to be some why, uh, Maxwell, why thing. It's like, we know why. We've been expecting this to happen for a long time. Yeah, everybody, yeah. I, I think yeah. I was the only person that didn't. I, I thought they were going to ride with the Sting and Luger babyface heel dynamic and, and work that because MJF's been getting babyface pops when he comes out and helps Cody. Well, people love him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's such a great, he's such a great heel. You just can't help but enjoy him insulting you. Yes. Um, I just, yeah, I, I like delayed gratification. I think that is, that is knowing when to pull the trigger on something is a magic gift that some people, some wrestling creatives and bookers have, but not everybody else has. I'm not saying I have it. I mean, I, I clearly don't because I don't work at WWE anymore. But there are people who do, and I think that this was too soon. I think you can you can do at least next week, at least allow them the chance to kind of tease it and build to it and let that ambiguity sort of fester for a while. It's I don't know. But that said, there were a lot of people who responded to me on Twitter when I said oh, they could have waited, saying, we've been waiting for months. Yeah, that's that's like, your right. point. You, you have been waiting for months. But this is another situation like the like the promo, um, the backstage promo earlier in the show, where this feels like something you can do on on free TV, so the most people see it. Yeah, uh, I have no doubts that good content will come of this because MJF is great and over, and Cody is great and over, and that's to me that that's the most important thing. Do I think they could have done a lot of other stuff? Yeah, but I have no reason to believe that what they will do isn't going to be good, and that's the benefit of a new company. That's the benefit of being able to have an open mind and not being like, ah, well, here we go again. We know it's not going to lead anywhere. Uh, Tank Bearclaw says, replace JR with Taz. Sometimes sounds like he's lost in a Kmart during commentary. What did you think about commentary? Oh, you'll want to rewind and, and watch the show because uh, we've we've talked about it. He says he just tuned I in. I said uh, enough. One of our writers, Robert, said <laughs> If they get Taz full time, they should have him be Taz with three Z's since they can't like do <laughs> any other spelling. Yeah, he can't be one Z. He can't be two. So yeah, yeah, just I keep adding, adding fucking Z's. Who cares? I love it. Uh, I didn't love so much the lights out match. Uh, Jimmy Van, founder of Fightful.com, has talked about how he thought it was overkill. I do too. I'm okay with him doing one of these every so often, but this type of wrestling just isn't for me. It's not my style. But how do you feel about it? I loved it. Uh, I thought it was incredibly dramatic. It was brutal. It, it was everything that they said it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, you have to do this match if you're going to say it's an unsanctioned match, it's a lights out match, you know, we don't want anything to do with this. Well, it needs to shock the shit out of you. Yeah. If it's going, if they're going to 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 sell the match 
as brutal and, and subhuman and disgusting, then by God, I want someone to get stabbed with an ice pick. Okay. I want someone going through a bed full of barbed wire. I want a bunch of sugar glass that we're supposed to believe is real glass. And Thank God it all wasn't those, real this, glass. Thank God they, it wasn't well, real glass. Well, they would, there's no chance in hell they would have used real glass. Uh, that's just like forget about it. This isn't backyard wrestling. I love the um, mouse traps. That was my favorite part. I love. I the thought mouse it was traps. hilarious. Yeah, people people I was watching the show with were like, "Well, what is the point of the mouse traps? Does it really hurt?" It's like, well, I mean, I guess it could hurt because the springs are hitting you, but really, it's just yeah. the sound. Yeah, the sound is like, oh, it sounds gross. It sounds gross. I, ironically, you know what I think my favorite spot of the match was? Moxley doing a boss man slam. <laughs> I just love him doing that. Like, who does that move? Uh, Abyss, Big Boss Man, Wade Barrett, uh, people like Big Cass, guys like that. John Moxley. Okay, cool. I like that. Uh, they fight into the crowd. Omega does a double stomp off the railing. Barbed wire gets busted out, taken to Omega's back. I did like that he countered a suicide dive by hitting Moxley in the head with it. Also, I loved that it was a barbed wire wrapped broom. And he would sweep away. That was cool. The, the chains brought out. There are a bunch of suplexes. And Moxley gets hung over the ropes. Then the glass gets brought in. I like that they didn't... They were like, oh, well, Moxley's trying to get to the ropes. But it doesn't matter. So he was just trying to get leverage to get up. I like that. I didn't like Omega in the middle of all this hamming to the camera. I'm okay with people doing that. But while he's got glass in his hand... I'm like, what, what do you care what I think about the glass in your hand? Like, go shove it in his mouth or whatever. Oh, and he's selling it to the audience, to the the TV audience. Yeah. I get that. It's a it's a television product. So by him saying, "Oh, I got glass," you know, then for me, I'm like, "Oh shit, he's got glass." And it's part of you know, Kenny Omega is sort of known for sometimes showing off, and sometimes that causes him to make mistakes i think that's part of the story is that he's kind of a showboat and an arrogant character and it's continuing to bite him in the ass and that's where we're going with him is he keeps losing he keeps losing big matches what is going to happen what is he going to do to correct this how does he transcend these these failures and, and rise back to the top i i'm fine with that you you gotta sell the fucking weapons you know yeah at the same time i totally get what you're saying this is supposed to be a war it's supposed to be a fight so what's he dicking around for waving the glass in the air did you check out renee young's twitter during this no 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 I, what i mean i'm sure she was horrified by the whole thing she was and i mean renee met john moxley in wwe and to say that this wasn't what she was seeing is just a gross understatement so her tweets were WTF. Hi, yes, hello. I hate this. Then she quote tweeted her own what the WTF tweet and said, seriously, WTF. And afterwards she goes, anyways, I hear Christmas movies are a great palate cleanser. Help! She's this wonderful. Is, I honestly think this is the happiest he's ever been. It seems like it. Look, if you, at, at the end of the show, when he's like, well, I guess you got your money's worth. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, this is what he does, and this is what brings him joy. Um, he he wrestles with with um, 
so much vim and vigor and, and, and enthusiasm now. And that's part of, I think, what I enjoy about these matches, even though they are sometimes like, I don't want to look at this anymore. At the same time, it's like, man, these guys are really you know, passionate about this, and there is real emotion and real desire to do something incredible. Um, and they did. In my opinion, they did something incredible tonight. Uh, and Kenny Omega doing this match is kind of ridiculous because he's one of the greatest professional wrestlers maybe of all time. Yeah. Uh, from a technical standpoint, from an athleticism standpoint, he can do spot fests, he can do chain wrestling, he can now we, he's proven that he can do a hardcore garbage match that's better than most hardcore garbage matches from the best of the best of the best. And it's hard to, it's, I, Okada couldn't do this match. I know people want to say Okada is better than Omega, but you're not going to see Okada ever fucking do this match. Never, so, never. He's, Kenny Omega is arguably the best wrestler in the world from a physicality standpoint. Maybe not from a, Promo standpoint, I think that that award goes to Chris Jericho or Cody or Moxley, but he certainly is the best from a versatility standpoint to be able to to pull this match off believably to make it seem like he's on John Moxley's level of brutality uh, is impressive. Sean Cartea says Excalibur had to keep correcting JR made me sad, made all of us sad, buddy. Uh, the match kind of winds down with a big superplex into a net of barbed wire, a V-trigger through a big light. Uh, there's a paradigm shift in the ring, but Omega kicks out. And then Moxley starts cutting away the canvas. And I gotta say, I've taken down and put up a lot of rings. The, the speed in which he did that was very impressive. Whatever device he had, he was like, alright, getting through here. He got that done. He and, uh, there was, uh, a paradigm shift from Omega. And then Moxley ends up getting the finish and winning. Again, not for me, but for the people that it was for, I get the feeling it was really great. Because here's the thing. You ain't seeing this on WWE. Mm -mm. You might see it on Impact. You might. You're not seeing it on Ring of Honor. You're not seeing it on New Japan. So you get it like maybe one of two places. That's it. And not a lot of people are watching Impact these days, for better or for worse. And afterwards, you get Moxley flipping off the camera, Bucks checking on on Omega. I I thought it was effective. Ultimately, wasn't for me, but like I said, can't always be snakes and sparklers. Can't always be what I want. Sometimes it's the consumer, and uh, I thought that they they had a good match for what they were trying to do. Dave, yeah. Every time John Moxley comes out from here on out, people remember this. People remember what he did on this pay-per-view and it enhances his character and it enhances the threat of violence. Sometimes that's more important than the actual violence in professional wrestling yeah. is the threat, the, 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 the possibility of there being violence, real violence. Um, you know, I think the Cody uh, Jericho match became significantly better after <laughs> Cody got hard way busted open because there's blood. It's you're really like concerned for him in in a pure and honest way, and I felt that way about this this last match too. Is you know once it became so so gratuitous and graphic, and it's like, well, this is you know these guys are really putting on the line, and it heightens the drama. And it also, like you said, really um, differentiates AEW from everything else. The violence, the language 
I mean, there were multiple f bombs on this show, multiple people saying shit. Um, <laughs> it's just this is a this is an adult product. When it goes to pay per view, they're really using um, their ability to to go push these things to a higher level on pay per view effectively. Then you go back to the TV product, and it's not like that. It's it's certainly more accessible, but it makes you say mm, the TV's good, but. If I pay fifty bucks, I'm going to see all this crazy stuff. It's a different. It makes show. the paper. It's a different show. It's that's why you pay for it when you watch a WWE pay per view for nine ninety nine a month. You get the exact same show, yep. the exact same stuff, the same matches, the same length. I mean, every match is fifteen minutes now on WWE programming. I couldn't agree more. That's AEW full gear reminder, guys. Every Wednesday. Roughly 10, 10 Eastern, we review uh, NXT and AEW, but we also have Raw, SmackDown reviews. We have our Wednesday news shows, Listen You Boy, and tons of stuff over at Fightful Select. But Dave, tell the people where they can uh, kind of see your work at right now. Well, I uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dave underscore Schilling. Uh, I'm starting a newsletter that's going to have reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and, um, and AEW, and all the pay-per-views. Um, so three times a week, four times a week, sometimes, uh, Dave Schilling.substack.com subscribe. Uh, you'll get an email that'll have, you know, my thoughts on this. Uh, I'm going to have a full gear, uh, review that's going to come out tonight, which I need to work on when this is over. Uh, but it'll be coming out tonight and, uh, you know, subscribe and you'll get, uh, all that stuff, uh, as soon as the shows are over or the next morning. So based on, on your experience, I got to ask you one question before we go. Would WWE have had Darby Allen jacking off in a boiler room? Well, I don't think we actually would have had him jacking off. Uh, but certainly we would have had him in some sort of dark room looking sad. Somebody would have been banging <laughs> and, his wife and, in the boiler room. Yeah. While he looked on been, sadly. And he would have probably not wrestled very much. And he probably <laughs> would have jobbed to Drew McIntyre after a month of being on the show. Guys, thank you all so much. Leave a thumbs up, subscribe, and make sure you check out Dave's stuff. Of course, we thank you, Dave, for, for joining us. Uh, of course. A lot of great reception from the live chat. Also, we have a super chat at, before we go. It says, do you think Cody will now be involved in a backstage role and wrestle two, three times a year like Triple H, or is it just a storyline? Rate the show out of five. No. Cody is like one of the most over people in wrestling right now. There's no way he wrestles two or three times a year, Dave. He's their top star. Yeah. Without question. It's not Omega. It's not Moxley. It's Cody. And he has to be on every show because yeah. he's the biggest draw. And he's going to have a long, exciting feud with MJF, and I can't wait. Uh, and I'd I, give the show a four. Four. I, on the AEW scale, I'll give it a three. Overall, I'll give it like a 3.25, 3.5. But I give you guys a 10 out of 10. Thank you all so much for being here. Until next time, we're out.